Great to be with you here this morning. Renee and I always enjoy the time that we can have with our Santa Cruz family. Ron Hammerd called me a week or so ago and wanted to go spend some precious time with his dad back in Iowa and asked if I would come in and fill in for him. So you get the B string here today. But uh, happy to be here with you. Uh, Caesar talked a little bit about Renee and my our, our role in uh, our extended family of churches that are Santa Barbara, uh, Shoreline, Ventura area, Santa Cruz, and the San Fernando Valley here. Really what we are is just positioned to have a front row seat for all the amazing things that God is doing in people's lives here in this great part of sunny California. Happy to be with you today and to see the faces and the connections and be taken back uh, down memory lane through a, a number of things that have already happened today. But it's just great to worship together, to have a time to pull away from our weeks and our, our busy lives and just center in. And we've been led in such a great way in our worship of God, and that really does help us to get centered in. We're going to be talking about the source I love the way that you did that, the source. Uh, should have you come back up here and do that again. But uh, we're going to talk about that in a minute. But this really does help us time like this, worship time like this, really does help us connect with God as our source. But a little entry uh, into that. The, the past few days, Renee and I have been house hunting. Have you done that lately? We've been house hunting. We've lived in the, the San Fernando Valley for 18 years, and now we're house hunting. But it's not for us. It's not for us, so I know those of you in the real estate business, you're wondering, what? What? You didn't, you didn't call us? It's actually, we have, a, we have a great family moving in from the mission field. They've been on the mission field for 20 years, Caesar and uh, Jennifer Lopez. You know, you just can't have too many Caesars in your ministry. We needed one in our ministry. You can't have all the Caesars here. So they're moving in and uh, they've got a, just a brief window of time to find their housing. They're coming in from Southeast Asia. They have three teenage kids. They're, they're, they're kids, although they visited, they were all born and raised out on the mission field in the Philippines and places like uh, Thailand and then now Cambodia. And so we're going around helping them find housing. And it's really great seeing the different perspectives because, you know, you have mom and dad's perspective on the economy and what about the utilities. And then the teenagers, they're just thinking, can I get my own room? Got to have my own room here. And, you know, where and access to the schools and what kind of schools and all of that, all that's going on. But the amazing thing is, is they're seeing the valley for the first time. And we're looking at it through their eyes and the different places that they're looking at. We get to look at it through the lens of their eyes. Brand new first timers. But we've lived there 18 years. And yet, we're seeing places and streets and stuff that we've lived there 18 years and we never noticed. Places we've driven by before and never noticed. And Renee was so excited about this that now she's, she's been online doing research in some of these neighborhoods in the San Fernando Valley. So who knows, maybe we could be moving now, you know, <laughs> after all. Because we're seeing things that we hadn't seen before. You know what? Bible study and relating to God as our source is a lot like that. 
And if you're here for the first time, you're brand new, you know, this, you're just trying to take it all in, new songs, new things being said, and you're just going to look at this topic for the first time, that's great. Because the nature of God as our source is such that it can handle the first timer wide open. And any passage that we look at, there's going to be something you're going to be able to get. It's going to be accessible to you for the very first time. But it's also good for those of us that maybe we have read the Bible on several occasions. We have attended worship services a few times. That this may not be, and even the, the story that we're going to look at may not be something new for you today. But keep in mind that sometimes driving down the same old street and going into the same old neighborhood looking with fresh eyes, maybe you'll see something that'll help you in a new and fresh way. And so we're going to look at God today as our source. And we're going to look at one of the great names of God that's given to him in the Bible by those who were relating to him back in that day and time. And through their relationship with God and how they came to know him as their source, maybe we can pick up some things for our lives. We're talking about Genesis chapter 14. Genesis chapter 14, we're going to pick up reading in verse 13. Now, this is a, a page out of the family history of the Jewish people. And right before the place where we're going to pick up reading, some of the, the immediate history around that is we're looking into the life of a guy named Abraham. This is Abraham but it's before his name got changed from Abraham, so he was, he was Abram. And Abram had come into the land that we're reading about here with his nephew, a man named Lot. And they had lived a very prosperous life, and their herds and their flocks had grown to such great size that the land could no longer handle the two of them together. And so Abram, the uncle, and his nephew Lot decided to separate and Abram gave Lot the choice. Lot, you choose. And Lot looked for, just from a, from a human point of view, from just life here and now point of view, he looked for the best possible place, and he picked the well-watered plains of the Jordan. Now, he not only moved there, but he moved to live in a city by the name of Sodom. And Abram moved in the exact opposite direction. Now, Lot's joy of living in this great city of Sodom was short-lived because the background of that time, this was in warlord land and in warlord territory where cities would be controlled by these guys that were called kings, but they were really military leaders. And to gain more power and to gain more influence, they would go and they would invade the cities and the lands of people around them. And this was a particular time when Lot living in Sodom, got caught up in one of those military invasions. And warlords came in, a gang of warlords came in, and they conquered his city, and they took Lot and his family and the possessions and all of the people and all the possessions of this area, and they, they conquered them and they enslaved them, and then they headed north. All right, now where we're going to pick up reading is that all this has gone on, but there's an escapee, somebody escapes from captivity, and they go directly to the tents of Abram to give him word on the captivity of his family member, his nephew Lot. 
That's the background before we read. But let's pray, and then we'll read God's Word. Father, thank you for this morning and this time, this place of worship, and that we can sing about you and your greatness and your love for us, and that we can meditate as we did around the communion on things that happen in our lives that, that cause us to look within ourselves and then to keep our eyes fixed on you. And we want to do that. And we really pray that, that this time of Bible study and this reading, that you would be working through your spirit, you would be working in this gathering of people, you'd be working on our hearts, and that something really good could happen among us and in us because of this time. And our deepening connection with you as our source, the source of life, the source of blessing, the source of every good and perfect gift. We thank you for this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so verse 13 of Genesis 14. A man had es- who had escaped came and reported this to Abram, the Hebrew. Now Abram was living near the great trees of Mamre, the Amorite, a brother of Eshcol and Aner, all of whom were allied with Abram. When Abram heard that his relative had been taken captive, he called out the 318 trained men born in his household and went in pursuit as far as Dan. During the night, Abram divided his men to attack them, and he routed them, pursuing them as far as Hobah, north of Damascus. He recovered all the goods and brought back his relative Lot and his possessions, together with the women and the other people. All right, so this messenger comes to the tent of Abram, and Abram gets the news that his nephew Lot had been taken captive, and instantly Abram goes into action mode. And it says that he gathers together that these 318 men, and they head north in the attack, and they do this brilliant night attack and this incredible military maneuver where he divides his troop, and in they go, and they gain this victory, and he gets all of the people and all the possessions and his nephew and his nephew's family back. Now, this is amazing because it tells us a lot about Abram in this moment in time. And if we knew nothing else, what we know about him here, first of all, he was forgiving because, you know, him and Lot had separated. They had parted company. You know how family and relationships can get kind of weird when there's distance between us and things and filling in the blanks and thoughts and all that? And there was no hint of any kind of bitterness in Abram's heart. He heard that Lot had been captive and he didn't say, well, that idiot nephew of mine, here he is getting himself into trouble again. He's on his own this time. No, he went at once to help him. The other thing we see is he has these 318 men. Now, notice how it says it here. He had 318 trained men born in his household. Now, know this. They were not born trained men. By the time they were here and the warlords had come and this moment had occurred, by now they were trained but they hadn't always been trained. They They weren't born trained. They had gotten trained Because Abram saw to it that they would be trained. 
Because he knew that he lived in warlord land. He knew these kinds of things happened from time to time. And so he prepared in advance for it. So that when the moment came, it would be ready. But the other thing we know about him is that he was courageous. He went putting his life on the line. But even more than that, we know that he was a military genius. Did you ever know that about him? I mean, he understood you got to attack at night and you need to divide your troops. And he knew how to do this. And they were all coordinated and, and did this attack all at once and just won the victory. So all this is the background. And a, a pretty amazing guy. And you know he must have been feeling great about himself like you do and like I do when everything lines up in the preparation and the planning and our skill and our expertise and our knowledge and the situation it all lines up at least once a decade doesn't that happen right it all lines up and the victory is won it's great what a great feeling and that no doubt was the feeling that Abram was enjoying as they're coming back they've been way up north and they're heading back south now back home but the really exciting part of the story is now about to pick up. Verse 17. After Abram returned from defeating Kedorlamar, say that three times really fast, or think about naming your next child that. And the kings allied with him. The king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Sheva. That is the king's valley. Then... Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High, and he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. And praise be to God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. So he's on this return, and all of a sudden, not one, but two kings come out to meet him. Now, the first to come out is the king of Sodom, and no wonder that he would be happy to see Abram, because after all, he had lost everything. When the warlords came, the king of Sodom lost everything, all his possessions, all his people, everything in an instant, gone. And his army had disappeared and fled as cowards into the mountainside. He must have fled with them. And so Abram comes back, and man, was he glad because he thought he lost everything. And now here comes Abram bringing everything back. So, of course, he was out there to meet him and to greet him. More about him later. But also on the scene was another king, the king of Salem, which Salem was sometimes named Salem and sometimes named after the people who lived there, the Jebusites, Jebus. And so once they finally put them together, Jebus, Salem, Jerusalem. Salem was also Jerusalem, also known as the city of peace, the king of peace. He was named Melchizedek. Now he also comes out to greet Abram. And there is a contrast, huge contrast between these two kings. They were as different as the two cities, Jerusalem and Sodom, Melchizedek and the king of Sodom. Two very, very different people, two very different views of life, two very different value systems, two very different ways of looking when something like what had just happened happened, two very different ways to interact with that. 
And we're all faced with situations that come at us. Life throws situations at us. And in those moments, as life comes at us, we discover who we are. We discover how we're made. We discover our structure, our hierarchy of values in our life. We, we let the world know what's really important to us. And we let the world know how we think the world works. So these two guys come out. And before the king of Sodom has any chance to say anything, the king of Salem speaks up. And he goes to Abram. And in this kind of pre-communion pre-time of Jesus, communion meal. He brings out bread and wine. And here's what he says, to just repeat what we read. Blessed be Abram by God most high, creator of heaven and earth. He comes out to him, and he wants to bless him, but he blesses him by acknowledging, hey, Abram, you really are victorious, and you really are successful, and you are living the dream, man right now but it's because of God you're blessed and the source of your blessings is God most high Amen. and then he follows that up within that that military victory that you just won that's because of God Amen. God worked that in your life now think about this if you're Abram no mention of the courage no mention of the awesome heart. There was just forgiveness and love there for Lot. No bitterness. No mention of that. No mention of the advanced training and preparation that not only did he have 318 men, but they were trained men. No mention of that. No mention of the military tactical geniusness. It's a word, isn't it? It is now. That went on there. No mention of that. Just, you're blessed by God, and this military victory, this victory was given to you by God. That's it. And Abram's response is telling and instructive and helpful for us. Because he says all this, and in effect, Abram says, I like you. I get where you're coming from. I see the world in the exact same way. I was thinking the same thing as I was coming back. I was thinking, man, has God blessed me or what? And how did we do that? How do we travel all those miles, exhausted in the middle of the night, attacked, and, and totally, seemingly almost without resistance? I mean, it was almost un unmentionable, the, the resistance that hardly even happened. And we get this victory, only God. Only God could have done that. I was thinking the same thing, but all, all it says is he just gave him a tenth. Just gave him a tenth of everything. It was this spontaneous, overflowing, heartfelt response of the heart. There was no command given. There was no insinuation. <clears throat> I'm priest of God Most High, you realize, and... Uh, You've been blessed, and, uh, you know, it's time to tithe now, Abram. This was the first time a tithe is even mentioned in the Bible. Now, it would later on be coded and scripted into the very fabric of life for the Hebrew people. And it would be carried over into the New Testament church. 
generous and in proportion to how you've been blessed in keeping with your income, giving. But here, it's just this spontaneous response to Abram hearing Melchizedek say, you're blessed by God. And Abram says, I absolutely agree with you. You are right on. Here's a tithe. All right, that's the first king. And that's one way of viewing the world. That's one way of counting blessings. That's one way of looking at our life and seeing what's happened and figuring out how did one plus one add up to two here. How did this take place? Now we've got the second king. You know who was on the scene first, but didn't get allowed to speak because the king of peace came and interjected himself in that equation and said, hey, before anything else goes on here, let's just acknowledge this blessing, the source of all this is God. Now we pick up verse 21. Okay. After Abram had gave him a tenth of everything, the king of Sodom said to Abram, give me the people and keep the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, with raised hand, I have sworn an oath to the Lord God most high, creator of heaven and earth, that I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread or a strap of a sandal. You think he's making his point? So that you will never be able to say, I made Abram rich. I will accept nothing but what my men have eaten and the share that belongs to the men who went with me, to Aner, Eshkel, and Mamre. Let them have their share. Wow. Quite an interaction. Now, the king of Sodom, I mean, you've got to be amazed by the audacity of this guy. This was warlord times. The law, the rule of the battlefield was to the victor belong the spoils. Abram and his allies controlled everything. The king of Sodom had no rights, could make no demands. He had no chips on the table. He had nothing to bargain with. And yet he comes up and he says, okay, hey, hey, Abram, let me, let me, get, let me make a deal with you, okay? I got a plan for you. You got a plan for me. All right, I'm just going to take this. You just take that. I'll let you have the rest. Let's shake on it now. Come on, let's go. I mean, the audacity of this guy. He, he had nothing from which he could speak with any confidence. And yet, intact, he just comes up and he says, okay, you keep, you keep the possessions, and I'll, I'll just take the people. But, but I, I want to do you a favor. I want you to keep the goods for yourself. That's, that's just the kind of guy I am. No gratitude. No acknowledgement of Abram and what he had done. No realizing his position that he had nothing. That before Abram returned, at, at day one, at square one, he had lost it all. He had zero, nada, nothing. No acknowledgement of that. And, and yet Abram was bringing it back. But the real difference, no acknowledgement of God, no expression, no saying God is the source here, no giving credit, no words of praise, no sense of worship, no sense of understanding, no sense of who is the source here of all this. Well, it's 
It's God. Now the name of God that's given here is the Hebrew El Elyon. And it comes from two words, El, which is the name God, and Elyon, Most High. Now El was actually, the name God, was actually used by a lot of the Eastern people. In the languages of the Eastern people of that time, they would all call their gods El. And they had di different L's for this and different L's for that. And certainly in battle and in, you know, uh, cr allowing crops to grow and the rain to fall. They had all these different L's. Little God. And, you know, you hear people speak about this kind of God even in our culture today. You know, OMG. Oh my, fill in the blank. This is the God that you plug in for expression. This is the name you, you fill your sentences when you really want to make an impact. Or maybe, if in a crisis, you might cry out, oh, fill in the blank. But it's really small letter G-O-D. What's interesting is that Sodom had its gods, but no mention in the worldview or in the vocabulary or in the expression or in the interaction of the king of Sodom to any kind of God, to any kind of higher power, giving credit to anything beyond all he's got, all he's got in that moment is his ability to negotiate, his ability to manipulate, his ability to maneuver the situation as best he can. What a way to live life. What a tired, empty, sad, difficult, way, burdensome way to live life. It's all on me and what I can figure out and what I can squeeze out of it and what my manipulating and my lying and my twisting and my conniving and my positioning myself, it's, it, it's all on that. And that's how he viewed the world. And Abram sees that and he basically says, you and I have nothing in common. And I want absolutely nothing to do with you. Now, evidently, he knew this was coming. Because sometime before this meeting, sometime before this interaction, he had raised his hand to God. You know, something like, God, this battle's in your hands. The outcome... It's up to you. But should I return, I want you to know something. I know the king of Sodom. I know the kind of man he is. I know his dealings. I know his response to things. I know all about him. I just want you to know, I will not go there. I will not get in bed with him. I will not partner with him. I'll stay away from that. And that will be my testimony to you, God, that I want to honor you in all I do. Amen. I mean, he was rock solid. Right. He was immovable. Not a thread. Not the strap of a sandal. But here's what it came down to. Because I know the story you're going to tell, King of Sodom. I know how you're going to spin this and how you're going to portray it. God is going to get no credit. God is going to get no glory. It's going to be all about you. 
And frankly, I want to make sure that this is talked about in a way that God gets the credit and God gets honored as the source. Two different kings. And what we see is there was one battle in which Abram had to go and rescue Lot, but then there was another battle for the heart of Abram that had to be fought and had to be won, and it's a battle that we have to fight in our own lives. Now here's some takeaway, and we'll be done. Have you thought lately about how you honor God in your life? First of all, who is he? Is he just L, God? Somebody you plug your sentences in for exclamation effect? Is he God as in, yeah, you know, some kind of higher power and somehow present in the equation, but, but not too useful and not too helpful day to day, just kind of there in the background, God? Or is he God most high, El Elyon, among your values, among your sense of how life works and how the world operates, is he most high? That's how Abram saw it. That's how the king of peace, the king of Salem, saw it. I'm blessed and victories that I received because God is most high and God is my source. Well, how Abram expressed it very spontaneously, very open-heartedly, is he gave a tenth of everything, took one-tenth of it, a tithe of it, and he gave it all. And what's really cool, by the way, is by the time, by the time the king of Sodom came back for his manipulation and he was there and Abram gave everything back, he gave it back, but he'd already given a tenth of it in praise of God Most High before, before the king of Sodom ever got his grimy hands back on it. Isn't that great? Isn't that awesome? That's what prioritizing your life does. It just sets the whole universe right and in alignment. What about you? I want to suggest giving a tithe, giving a tenth, taking the first tenth of everything you're blessed and setting it aside for the work of God. Giving a tithe demonstrates that I get it, I understand my blessings come from God. When I give a tenth, when you give a tenth, when Abram gave a tenth, he was saying, Melchizedek came back and he said, wow, God's really blessed you, the victory's from God, and he said, I totally agree with you, here's a tenth. We give a tenth, we say, God, I get it, you are the source, and I praise you for it, Here's a tenth. When we give a tenth, we also declare that God is not just God. He's not just a presence in our life. He is most high. Abram gave him the first. He gave him a tenth before any interaction with the king of Sodom came along. Abram was acknowledging no, God is most high in my life. And he anchored that down with this spontaneous response of giving him a tenth. 
Now, I want you to, I really want you to hear this in the right way. I'm not telling you this as some kind of a command. I mean, we read it here as a spontaneous act. Why would I want to wrench and squeeze the spontaneity out of it? I'm saying open up your heart for a like kind of acknowledgement and a like kind of ordering your priorities. You may have a different way of doing it. I suggest this is a great way to order your priorities in your life and say God is most high among the competing values and the competing things for my interest and my heart and my energy and my resources. God is most high and I'm going to demonstrate that by giving him the first full one-tenth of it all to him first. Amen. And to say, of the important things in my life, God, you are most high. When when the king of Sodom came with this little negotiation, you know, Abram, he could have been thinking, he could have been thinking, wow, you know, this would really position me politically. It would position me socially. It would position me in a great way in the community if I was just seen as being close and buddies with and in business with the king of Sodom. And Abram said, no, nah, you see, it conflicts with my values. As good as it might be from a worldly point of view, I live by a higher standard of values. And this flies in conflict with those values. And sometimes there are business deals we've got to walk away from. Sometimes there are relationship entanglements that we've got to walk away from. Sometimes there are decisions in our life and there's this option and there's this option and the choice becomes clear. I've got to say no to this and say yes to this. And Abram got that and he did that because he, he was just living under this. God is most high in my life. And giving a tithe demonstrated that. And his interaction with the king of Sodom demonstrated that. And then there's one really great and powerful thing. One more that, that, that giving a tenth, giving a tithe does. It says, I'm confident that God will enable me to do anything he calls me to do in my life. He's going to give me the resources. He's going to give me the open doors. He's going to provide. If he calls me to do it, I'm confident I will be able to get it done by his power. And that's what, that's the way Abram lived his life. He had to go into battle. His, his nephew was, was taken captive. He, he just went and engaged courageously, boldly. He went and he engaged. He was confident that God was going to see him through. In the moment, that spontaneous moment of giving a tenth, how do you make a decision like that? In, in the sacrifice of it and the value structure, how do you do that? You do that when you're confident that God's going to stretch the other 90% and you're going to be able to live on it. You're going to be able to be blessed in that. It's the idea of being totally sure that if God calls you to do it, if God puts it on your heart, he is going to give you the substance, the resource, the stuff to see it through. And when he took this stand and he just walked away, he just pushed away from the negotiation table, he said, I don't want any part of it. Where does that confidence come from? 
It comes from really believing God is most high. And so by saying no to this, I know that God has a bigger yes in mind for me. Now let's close out with this. I want to go on to just briefly into chapter 15 of this story because, because we see Abram at his best here. We see him faithful. We see him bold. We see him courageous. We see him confident and, and we see him praising God. Everything is right with this guy. He's done everything right. But he wasn't always that way. Just like we are not always that way. Life isn't always that simple and it doesn't always line up so perfectly. Chapter 15 Verse 1, after this, after what? Well, after this awesome mountaintop experience, and, and Abram, you're awesome, and you get it, and he takes this stand. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I'm your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, <clears throat> Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless, and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Well, what happens? What happens if you really buy in? Hook, line, and sinker. You really buy into this God is my source thing. Then what? Well, you see what happens. It's a package deal. Because there are some things that happen under the umbrella of God is my source. God is looking out for me. God is providing for me. There's some things that happen and some things that don't happen that leave huge question marks in our life. What? You allowed what? Or you didn't answer what? And we can wrestle. If we're paying any kind of attention, we will wrestle with the situation like Abram does here. He's doubting. And you know what? The presence of doubt means there's real genuine faith going on here. You show me a person that doesn't wrestle with doubt, and I'll show you either somebody that's really out of touch or really prideful and really arrogant. They think they just got all the answers and it always all works out for them. Man, there are times when you, you want to believe it, but it's not working out the way you thought it would. And this is the kind of interaction that Abram's having with God. He's having it out. You haven't blessed me in this way. You're supposed to be all the big source and everything, but what about this in my life? I'm not happy about this. And you know what happens? We don't read anything more about Abram. He vanishes, right? I mean, the, the, the ground opens up and he's swallowed in the abyss. How dare you talk to the Almighty, the Most High that way? How dare you raise your voice? How dare you have a doubt? Kaboom, right? I mean, it's the lightning bolt and then it's over, right? He's just toast. No, no. Verse 4, Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. And he took him outside, and he said, Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. 
No falling in the abyss. No lightning bolts turning him to toast. No writing you out of the story from here on. You're now dead to me, Abram. God takes him where he's at and very lovingly, in a very personal way, he, he takes him outside. You just got to love this about God. He takes him outside and he says, 